Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. And uh, in Christianity, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood and misrepresented member of the Trinity. And that shouldn't be the case. He should not be the most misunderstood, misrepresented member of the Trinity because if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He dwells in you. So this shouldn't be the case. We have this promise and this experience. The promise is from God's Word. God shares so much about the Holy Spirit. And then we have that experience of Him dwelling in us if we're born again. So look what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 17. It says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him. I mean, you go talking about the Holy Spirit to people who are, are lost, they think you're crazy, right? So the spirit of, the tr- a spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor, is no- nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Remember, this is uh, before the Holy Spirit was given. Jesus made this promise. The Holy Spirit will not only dwell among you, but he'll dwell in you. And we've experienced that promise today if you are born again. So how can we know and understand the Holy Spirit uh, who dwells in us? And it's simply, it's, it's throughout the Word of God, and there is an experience of the Word of God that takes place as well. And in this message, I want to clear up five misconceptions concerning the Holy Spirit. And these are really basic, but you know, if we don't have these down, this is where we go haywire, and this is where we go off the rails, and this is where we sometimes get stupid. So let me just say this in the very beginning. Misconception number one is this. The Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. He is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is a divine person. Throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is referred to he, as he, not it. He's not an it. He's a he. So we know the Holy Spirit is a divine person because he possesses a mind, will, and emotions. Look at these four verses. These are great examples, just selected four. So the Holy Spirit thinks and knows according to 1 Corinthians 2.10. The Holy Spirit can be grieved according to Ephesians 4.30. The Spirit intercedes for us according to Romans 8.26 and 27. The Holy Spirit makes decisions according to his will in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 7 through 11. So throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, we see that the Holy, Holy Spirit, he demonstrates personhood. He doesn't demonstrate an impersonal force. So that's a very common misconception. You know, this is not Star Wars. It's not the force that we think of in Star Wars. He is a person, a divine person, a member of the Trinity. Miscon- that's an easy one. I get that. Misconception number two, the Holy Spirit is from God. The Holy Spirit is not from God. He is God. He is God. The Holy Spirit is not from God. He is God. The Holy Spirit is not a created being. He is God. The Holy Spirit is not a mode of God. He is God. So there are some blatant misrepresentations of the Holy Spirit, some of them dating back to the first couple hundred years of Christianity. And most of those misconceptions revolve around the role of the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity. Let me show you this. While the the word Trinity, we understand, does not appear in the Bible. It's a, just a term we use to describe what we see revealed throughout the Scriptures. Because we understand that God is a triune God. He is one God who demonstrates himself in three persons, but not three modes. Some believe that one God has demonstrated himself in three different modes. Let me show you why this is a heresy. It's been considered a heresy in Orthodox Christianity since the 3rd century. 
So if a triune God operates, operates in divine modes rather than distinct persons, how do you explain the baptism of Jesus? Here's what I mean. Look at this. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, so Jesus, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's baptized. Immediately when he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So again, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he's baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. After Jesus is baptized, we see that the Holy Spirit descends on him, not in a dove, not as a dove. He, the Holy Spirit's not a dove. He's not a bird, okay? <laughs> he descends on Jesus like a dove, in the likeness. So the Holy Spirit descends upon him, rests upon Jesus, and then a voice speaks from heaven. We know that voice is the Father. Why? Because he calls Jesus my beloved Son. Now, if, if, if the Trinity are modes, then they're not, they cannot be simultaneous. And that's the core of that belief. But we see here all three are represented in simultaneous with each other. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all three are divine persons, all present simultaneously. This event alone will just defy that idea of modes. It's, a, it's considered a heresy and has been for 1,700 years. So people who believe that God operates in three distinct modes believe that first he shows up as the Father, and then he transitions from that mode into the, the mode of the Son, and then now we have the mode of the Holy Spirit. So clearly the baptism of Jesus defies this. What about the creation story? What about Genesis 1:26? From the beginning, then God said what? Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. It's plural. God doesn't make a mistake here. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What about uh, how Jesus instructs us to baptize born-again believers? How are we to baptize them? Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name in the name of the Father and of the, the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not the names of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, but in the name, singular. We see a triune God is demonstrated throughout scriptures. Again, Jesus uses the singular word name rather than names. So the Holy Spirit is not a mode of God he, or from God. He is God. Here's the third most common misconception regarding the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a co-equal member of the Trinity. And that's just blatantly false. And somehow we, we take the Holy Spirit and we put the, Him in a divine order. And it's incorrect how we do this. I understand we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? But we kind of do this, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That should not be the case. He is a co-equal member of the Trinity. I mean, this is just Orthodox Christianity. I understand this, but we get this all messed up. And it messes with our minds because we don't really... We don't really grasp this. We don't understand who lives in us. And this is where the major flaw comes in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not God. It's not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal members of the Trinity. Again, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, he is not some third-grade, watered-down version of God who lives in you. All right? The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Some groups like Jehovah, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll, they'll tell you this, do the math. They, they look at us as worshiping three gods. They say, do the math. Simple equation, one plus one plus one equals three. But they're, they're using the wrong equation. 
they don't believe that in the Trinity. They, believe, they don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. They believe that's all bogus. Here's the, the if you want to put it in a mathematical equation when you're thinking of the Trinity, it should be one times one times one equals one. So the Holy Spirit is not a third of God. The Holy Spirit is God. So is the Father. So is the Son. So look what Jesus said to his disciples, to his disciples in regards to the Holy Spirit. Look at this, John 14, 16. It's a great verse. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He said in his absence, Jesus said in his absence, he would send the Holy Spirit, calling him another helper. What's the significance of that? Someone who has the same power and the same ability as the first helper. Jesus did not send us a second-rate helper or a watered-down version of himself. He sent another helper in the same power. Listen, this is where we mess. We don't know who lives in us. We don't understand who dwells in us. And it's a powerful thing. Jesus did not leave us with a helper who is less divine or limited. He left us with another helper. Look at this, John 16, 17. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. It's to our advantage that he went away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come uh, to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And thank God today, if you're born again, you are recipients of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And this is to our advantage, not to our detriment. But there are times where we feel like it's our, to our detriment. Oh, if Jesus was here, if Jesus was here. But listen, the Holy Spirit is in you, and this is to our advantage. Do you see how we get this all messed up? Here's the fourth and most common misconception regarding the Holy Spirit. The Holy, the Holy Spirit comes and goes. Listen, in order for that to occur, the Holy Spirit would have to change who he is. And there's a term we use, and it's from the Bible, it's from Malachi, God does not change. See, we have a theological term we use for this. We call it immutability. The, whole, the God is immutable. It means he does not change. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't change? So to say that the Holy Spirit comes and goes would cause the Holy Spirit to have to change who he is. Just let's read the Bible. Let's think about what the Word says. Let's get religious tradition out of the way. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you if you're born again. And he did not, and he does not change. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He can't change that. That's who he is. He's immutable. The psalmist says it this way, Psalms 139, 7 through 8, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Oddly enough, it's we Pentecostals who most mess this one up. You know, it's, it's not the Baptists, it's not the Methodists, it's not the Nazarenes. We mess this one up because this is what we do. We like to confine the Holy Spirit to a building. We like to say, you know, in order to experience the Holy Spirit, you must come to this building. That's a major, major flaw because it doesn't line up with the Word of God. It sounds good. It'll fill, it may fill your sanctuary up, but it defies logic and it defies the truth of God's Word. No one can contain the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, are we going to go back into the Old Testament and put him in a tabernacle? Is that really what God wants? Is that why God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, among us? No. He is omnipresent. The only way the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is hindered is this. And sometimes, well, that church hinders the Holy Spirit. 
let's just break it down. We hinder the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who hinder the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you this. We all have as much as God as we want. Are you happy with what you have? It's, it's not always the building or the people. Sometimes it's the person. We have as much as God as we want. We are as close to Jesus as we want to be. We experience the Holy Spirit as much as we want to experience. So I'm just going to say this. A church does not have the market on the Holy Spirit. Again, show me that in the Word. Because I read that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. So if you want to know and experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to change locations. You just have to change priorities. You simply choose to pursue him more. Isn't this what Jeremiah was saying? Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You'll find me. To know him and experience the Holy Spirit better depends on us. Depends on us. The Holy Spirit does not come and go if you're born again, because here's why. I mean, there are going to be many. I'm just going to give you three scriptures. This is pretty easy. But he lives in you, and he remains in you if you're born again. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? 2 Timothy 1.14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Romans 8.11. Classic scripture, here it is. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we can resist the Holy Spirit. We can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, but we cannot control and manipulate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will manifest his power and his glory in and among his people. I'm going to tell you, especially where this takes place where there's unity, where there's love, and where there's faith. You put those three in any environment with God's people, the Holy Spirit will manifest in his people. But to say that a person must be at a certain place, at a certain church, to experience the Holy Spirit is a simply a fabrication because it denies who God is. God the Holy Spirit is. He is God the Holy Spirit. He is omnipresent. If he's born again, he lives in you. He does not come and go. All right, the Holy Spirit is with you. He will empower you, even if you don't experience those Holy Ghost goosebumps or some other manifestation. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He dwells in you. That cannot change. That's who he is. That was his purpose. So here's the fifth common misconception concerning the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to do something unbiblical. He said, well, this is a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how many of us, how, how often this happens, more than we think. Let me just ask you this. How many times have you felt like God was leading you to do something, you did it, and it wasn't God? I, I love when people pull the God card. I've said this before. When they pull the God card, I like to pull the Bible card. What God said to you doesn't line up with his word, because that's important. And if, if we'll do that, it'll keep us out of a lot of trouble. But this happens more than you think. And sometimes we say the Holy Spirit spoke to us, instructed us to do something, but again, we find out it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was just our flesh. So again, when those situations happen, this is the question we need to ask ourselves. Did we take the time when God spoke to us? And I understand there are times where it's, a, it's something, it's vital, it's important, and when it happens, you understand that it was God. And I know that we can't always run to our Bible, but if it's life-changing, all right, if it's a decision all right, it, it's, if you have the time to consult, consult the Word of God, then you should. By all means, you should. 
But did we take the time to confirm what the Spirit of God was saying? Did we, does what he said to us line up with Scripture? Because remember, the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of Scripture dwells in you and I. There's not going to be a conflict with each other. So if there's a conflict with us, and we say, well, God told, the Holy Spirit told me this, but I don't really see it in here, then something's wrong in here, because this isn't wrong. I mean, this is the basis of our faith, is it not? We believe the Word of God is infallible, it's inerrant, it's, our, it's how we live our lives, it's our rule for conduct and faith. Is it in the Word of God, or is it in a feeling, or is it in an experience? See, we have to consult the Word of God. It's so important. Do we take the time to confirm what the Spirit of God was saying to us? Listen, if you do that, your faith will be even greater. If we just take that simple step, but sometimes we just don't want to do that. We just want to act. We want to react. So don't take, take the time to discern the voice of God through the Scriptures. If you'll do that, it will save you a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, and a lot of trouble. Again, the same Holy Spirit who lives in you, spoke to you, is the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of Scriptures, and he will not contradict himself. You know, there are two people in this world that get more blame for things they did not do. Number one's the devil. Number two is the Holy Spirit. The most common reason we mistake the voice of the Holy Spirit is because the unwillingness that we have to allow the Word of God to simply separate what belongs to our soul and what belongs to our spirit. Remember this, you're born again. Your spirit is made whole and perfect, but your soul's not perfect. It has to undergo transformation. Your mind, your will, and emotions still have a work to take place. And that's where God's trying to do that work. So sometimes what we feel and what we think doesn't always line up with the Word of God. If we just consult the Word of God and find agreement in His Word, it would keep us from a number of errors. So those are five common misconceptions. I want to transition, though. I want to, I want to show three important truths concerning our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think these are vital, and it helps us understand in greater measure who the Holy Spirit is. We can see that who the Holy Spirit isn't, but who He is. Okay, number one, the Holy Spirit had an active role in our lives prior to salvation. Did you know that? Even before you got saved, the Holy Spirit was active in your life prior to salvation. Why do I say that? Well, look what Jesus says in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, this is speaking of a time before the Holy Spirit was given. But now the Holy Spirit has been given, and he has the active role on earth. He takes up this role. He draws us to repentance. This is one of the very active roles that, that happens under grace. Aren't you grateful that the Holy Spirit brought conviction into your life before you came to Christ? When God begins to draw a sinner to repentance, the Holy Spirit is the active agent. He is the active person. 2 Peter 2.39, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish but that all should reach repentance or all come to repentance. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He is on the earth. It doesn't matter where you make your bed. It doesn't matter where you run. It doesn't matter where you hide. It doesn't matter what you're doing. He is there. He is present. And God loves you so much, he will draw you to repentance. Some of us have been drawn to repentance through our mistakes. Some of us have been drawn to repentance by the preaching of God's word. We've all, we've all been drawn to repentance. God has used something, someone, a message to bring us to that place. You know what? I'm not living right. I'm not in the right place. I need, I need to look for God. I need to find God. You didn't just wake up with that. The Holy Spirit was drawing you to repentance. 
And, and don't feel too special, even though you are, but he wants all to come to repentance. Not just some. Not just a few, not just a chosen, but all to come to repentance. That's the grace of God, is it not? We think grace takes place when we give our lives to Jesus, and it is, but the grace of God is bigger than that. The Holy Spirit draws you to repentance. God will use mistakes and failures to bring conviction into our lives, and will use the Holy Spirit as an opportunity to draw us to repentance. John 16, 7 through 8, look at this. Nevertheless, this is what Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not come, or do not go away, excuse me, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit was active in your life before you even came to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit will use conviction in your life to draw you to Christ. The Holy Spirit uses conviction in moments when we're not aware of, when we're not aware of our own sin, but suddenly we become very aware. How many of you had that light bulb moment? My mother-in-law would call it epiphany. Okay, when you had that epiphany, that, listen, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going to go to hell. You know, I'm not living right. This is not the direction I need to be going. You know, I need to find the truth. I need to find, you know, where, how can I be saved? Conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. Long before you had a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit was working behind the scenes to bring you to repentance. I can only tell you this in my own life. Now that I look back, before I gave my life to Jesus, I could see how the Holy Spirit was drawing me to a place of repentance. You know, he'll let, yourself get, he'll let you get miserable with yourself. He'll let you get miserable in your sin. He'll allow you to hit the bottom of the barrel so he can lift you up. And sometimes it's the best place. Boy, don't we want to avoid that? But how many of you hit it pretty low at one point before God scraped you up? He loves you. He loves you. That's grace. So this, we understand that the Holy Spirit draws us to repentance. Even before we come to Christ, there's a work of the Holy Spirit that's taking place. He's working in the midst of humanity. The second role of the Holy Spirit takes place in our lives when we repent of our sins and we place our faith in Jesus. So the, the Holy Spirit is active in our lives at new birth. This, and I know I've been hammering this for a while, but it just troubles me. It troubles me greatly that we have reduced salvation to a simple formula. When it's an experience, you must be born again. It really bothers me when people say, I can just check off the list. I say yes to this. I say no to this. I say these words, and I'm in the club. It's good. I'm done. Listen, there better be a change in your life. Amen? That's new birth. New birth is what Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, telling him he must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. So all of us are born sinners, sinners, None of us belong to the kingdom of God by default. We all belong to a kingdom that has fallen, and we must be redeemed. We must be experienced new birth in order to be birthed into that kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God only after we've experienced new birth. It's a spiritual experience. Listen, some of you may have an emotional experience. Some of you may have a spiritual experience. Some of you just may say, I didn't really feel anything at all, but something changed after I prayed. The polarity of my heart changed. My mind, the reasoning what I desired, what I wanted to do, something distinctly happened inside of me. I can't explain it. You don't have to explain it, but you just know that it happened. There's a witness between you and the Holy Spirit because he lives in you. Amen? So what takes place at new birth? There are two distinct actions that take place. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. 
I'd like to say this, if the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you probably will know that. God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in you. I mean, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead comes to live in you. Shouldn't you know that? Sure, you should. You should have a witness. There should be a witness. So he comes to reside in you. Number two, the Holy Spirit transforms us. Now, he doesn't make us perfect, does he? We're not perfect in our flesh. There's a work that's taking place. We are not transformed into a perfect person, but we are transformed into a person who the Holy Spirit can empower to become more like Jesus. God made this promise to us centuries ago through the prophet Ezekiel. I love this, this verse. Look at this. It's, it's, it's the story of salvation. It's new birth. Centuries before Jesus even showed up on earth. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into my own land, into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. What again, what is God trying to reveal to the Jewish people before Jesus ever came? It's a revelation of new birth. Here, here, just go on a step further. You'll see it. Verses 26 through 28, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your forefathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. That can't take place unless you are born again. Can't take, listen, we cannot get enough religion. We can't do enough good works. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't work ourselves. It has to take, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. We can't keep the judgments and the statutes of God without the Holy Spirit. You know what that does? It just runs into a dry religious dead end. And suddenly, one day, it's all going to crack and exposes itself. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He dwells in us, not because he doesn't have any other place to hang out, but he dwells in us to empower us to live the life of Christ. Here are two verses I think that best describe the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in us, both initially and continually. Please hear that, both initially and continually. I mean, this one we're very, very familiar with. If you've been here over the last month, you should know this one. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So it's new birth. It's a genuine experience. So that's the initial work of the Holy Spirit. He makes you a new person. After we experience new birth, though, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and then there's an ongoing purpose of the Holy Spirit in us, and it's described in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I like how it's translated in the New Living Translation. This is pretty, this it makes it simpler for me. I don't know about you, but so all of us who have had the veil removed, that veil of religion, the veil of the flesh, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him, more and more like Jesus. And as we are changed into His glorious image, so there's an initial work of the Holy Spirit that takes place at new birth, but the Holy Spirit lives in you, dwells in you to make you more like Jesus. Number three, the Holy Spirit is active in our lives for the purpose of transformation. We often call that sanctification. We are sanctified, we are called out, we are set apart, but we aren't perfect. 
But God is trying to establish us as his people, and that is a work that takes place. We believe in the assembly of God. We believe sanctification is instant and continual. Instant, that he pulls us out. He separates you from sin out of this world. He separates you. He puts his spirit in you so he can empower you to be the person who God created you to be. But we don't preach this in Pentecostal churches. But yet it's one of our core doctrines that we don't even talk about it. We are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the manifestations of the Spirit. However, we tend to underemphasize the most powerful aspect of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That is the greatest manifestation of all. Is the power of God in you, changing you to be more like Jesus. We also see challenges concerning the Holy Spirit, not just in Pentecostal circles. We see it in, in, in the movement of hyper-grace. Here's what I mean. Grace has not been given to us as a means to remain in sin and still go to heaven. That is not the proper use of grace. The Holy Spirit who made us a new person, right? He made you into a new person, did not make you into a new person so you can go out and act like the old person. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't compute. That doesn't line up with the logic that we see in God's Word. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in us, live in us, change us to a new person, so we can go out and live as an old person, just Christianized. It just don't make sense. The Holy Spirit who lives in us does not empower us to live and think like the old man. He lives in us, empowers us to live like the new man who is being created in the image of Christ. Under grace, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live, to think like Jesus. The Holy Spirit enables us to live like a new creation in Christ. Under hyper-grace, the liberty of a believer has been totally hijacked. Here, here's the verse, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Hey, listen, Jesus saved me. He liberated me. If, if I, if I, I'm not going in the law bondage of sin. No, no, friend. Jesus has liberated you so you can live his life, not your life, and Christianize so you can still go to heaven. Christian liberty is not freedom to live like hell and go to heaven. It's the liberty to live for Jesus, to live like Jesus. Under the law, you had to work your way towards salvation. salvation. There, and there was no help from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't dwell in you. You had to work your way. But under grace, the Spirit not only changes you, but he empowers you. If we're truly born again, listen, I, I'll say that we're not perfect. I get that. But we should become, we should become more like Jesus not more like our flesh, more like our world, more like things around us. You know, we Pentecostals, we tend to focus on a couple, couple areas regarding the Holy Spirit. We like to focus on these areas, manifestations of the Spirit. And for centuries, we, we, we had to push back. And for centuries, there was this belief that the manifestation, the gifts of the Spirit had ceased. So we kind of pushed back on that. And we did so with zeal. And I understand why we did that. We needed to. However, in our zeal, we have underemphasized the most important role and aspect of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that's transformation. I want you all to think about this. Has God changed you, and is he changing you? Clearly, the gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit are important, but they are secondary. Please hear me. Secondary to the fruit of the Spirit. Let's say that again. Someone needs to hear that. The gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit are important, but they are secondary to the fruit of the Spirit period. The fruit of the Spirit is the life of Christ, the character of Christ 
in you, being developed in you and through your life, daily life. So when you have the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit without the character and the nature of Christ, please hear me. When you have the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit without the character and the nature of Christ, the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit are delegitimized. Give you an example. So-and-so goes to that church. They believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They talk about being filled with the Spirit, but they got a silver tongue. You delegitimize the Spirit. Man, they can run around the church speaking tongues, they but when they get out there, they cuss like a drunken sailor. You delegitimize the gifts. They talk bad about people behind their backs, highly critical of others. We delegitimize the power of the Holy Spirit. Why would anybody believe what we're doing then is real or what we're experiencing is real? Well, they don't. That's why they think we're a bunch of nuts. The fruit of the Spirit is the life of Christ, and it's demonstrated through us. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Aren't you bothered by someone who speaks in tongues, but they cannot live these aspects in their lives? You should. should bother you. I'm not talking about perfection. Perfection... But you know what? Gossip, you can hold your tongue. Well, I just can't. Yes, you can. You're born again. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He empowers you. Yes, you can. Negativity. Yes, you can. Criticism. Yes, you can. Cursing. Yes, you can. It's not about seeing how close you can get to the world and still go to heaven. In the church day, there are too many nuts and not enough fruit. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.